Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. To learn more about our church, please visit us online by visiting ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. As we jump into today's message, our hope and our prayer is that you'd be challenged and encouraged in your walk and relationship with Jesus. Now, let's jump into the word together. Now, it's a starting a new year. I'm not going to pull a dad joke and say, oh, it's I haven't seen you since last year. <laughs> See, I'm not going to say that. That's how you get around not doing a dad joke. And, and we're going to start a, a new series, just four weeks. We're, we're going to start Genesis soon, in most likely February. But we have Vision Sunday coming up, and that is this afternoon at four. And I hope you can be a part to hear what God is doing in and through Calvary and where he wants us to go in 24. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But I didn't want just like a one Sunday, try to give a little win one for the Gipper speech type of a thing, and then have Vision Sunday and off we go and back in our everyday normal lives. That I really do believe this is going to be one of those monumental trajectory changing uh, events for Calvary. And, and I wanted to take four weeks to speak on it, not just one Sunday, not just one sermon, but to really root and ground ourselves in the Word of God so that we know how He moves and works, and to call all of us uh, to action in this. Because this, when we say, hey, this is something that Calvary is doing, we're not talking about the building, right? The building's drywall and beams and other things that I don't know because I didn't go to, you know, I don't know those you know, you get it 11% off at Menards on a good deal. Like when we say Calvary, we're talking about us. And we, and we want the, the church of Calvary to be fully engaged in what God is doing. And I think it'll have amazing uh, implications when the church comes together and walks in obedience to what the Lord has. And so uh, this morning, we're starting a new series and we are calling it, That Doesn't Make Sense that faith will make us do some crazy things. I picked three passages out of the Old Testament, and I picked one out of the New Testament. We're going to look at some of these stories where God is calling just normal, everyday people to do some crazy things. And we sit, even for us, we sit in the tension of the world around us that lives for a different value system, a different goal, a different objective of life. And then for us, that we have something a a totally different value system that's based on the Word of God, that is the values and the goal of what Jesus wants to do in and through us. And so we're going to sit in the tension a lot of times that we look at the world around us and we hear through the Word and we hear through the Spirit speaking to us what God is calling us to do. And we'll say things like, well, that just doesn't make sense. Now, theologically, we all have to agree on that. And we say things like that, like, oh, well, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And that sounds real warm and ooey gooey. Sounds like something you want to put on Facebook and everybody likes it until God calls you to walk in one of those ways. Until God calls you to trust one of those ways. See, that's where kind of the rubber meets the road. That's where we sit in the tension because the question that we're going to ask is how how crazy am I going to be in my faith? Now, it's not that we're looking for some crazy jump out of a plane, no parachute type of moments, that when we just live our normal everyday life, fully devoted in faith in Jesus, I mean, it's a reason that the Bible says that we're going to be a peculiar people. Because if we just intentionally follow Jesus, we're not going to find our home here. And people are going to look at us and say, you're weird, you're different. Why is that? They're going to look at our lives and say, there's something about it that doesn't make sense. And it's like, yeah, we've been there. But at the end of the day, in the tension of that, do I want to try to fit into the world around me? Or do I want to fit into what God's will has for me? Because we can't have both. And we're going to look at a couple uh, individuals here that they were sat in that same kind of tension and they, has to, they had to ask themselves, am I going to trust God in this and respond? So if you have your Bible, we're landing this morning in Joshua chapter 6. 
give you just a little bit of kind of backstory. So we all kind of know Moses. He grew up in Egypt, leaves because he killed a dude, right? Comes back because he talked to God from a burning bush. And God says, hey, you need to be my leader to redeem my people out of Egypt. So he sends them back. Um, There was only 70 people that came into Egypt a few hundred years ago. But then when Moses comes to redeem Israel out of Egypt, two and a half million leave, right? So that's a pretty pretty big operation that Moses is in charge of. Uh, It had some uh, plagues and different things that he was casting upon Egypt that God was kind of at war with the gods of Egypt and and that whole situation. So two and a half million come out. They're going to make a quick pit stop at a place called Mount Sinai, right? This is Exodus 20. They get the 10 commandments and they're supposed to immediately go to the promised land. And they were a little strategic about it. And it was good that they, they got together 12 spies. Just kind of, hey, do a little recon work for us. Go into the, the promised land that God has already kind of outlined for us. Check it out. Make sure we understand what's going on in there. And so these 12 young men come back and 10 of them say, yeah, this isn't good. Like, I, I have no idea why God redeemed us out of Egypt just to bring us to a land. Like, we're grasshoppers to these people. Like, there's, there's no way that we're going to be able to drive them out and be able to obtain this thing that God is calling the promised land for us. There's, there's no way. But there was two young men that said, if the Lord has said it, if, this, if the Lord is in it, then we need to walk in obedience and trust and do it. Well, the problem was that Israel uh, and the elders and all them, they take the bad reports. They believe those with the lack of faith. They went with the ones that made sense in their finite mental understanding uh, on the earth. They were not trusting the minority that was putting their faith in God and his word. And so because of that, they had to wander the wilderness for like 40 years until the older generation died out. And then when they had that younger generation that rose up, God uh, sends Moses again to give a second giving of the law. That's where we get the book of Deuteronomy because the older generation didn't pass it on well to the younger generation. So we get the second giving of the law. But even Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land that he even had some struggles and he sinned. And so the Lord allowed him to walk up on a nice high mountain to look out. And you can actually stand in that same similar spot and see that area that Moses was looking as the promised land and then died. So Moses was that leader to bring people out of Egypt and through that wanderings in the desert. But remember those two young men that spied out and gave a good report? One of them was Joshua, a young man of faith that believed fully and what God was leading, and what God was doing in and through this people. And so now Joshua rises up, and he's the leader. Where Moses led them out of Egypt, Joshua's the leader to lead them into the promised land. And the first city that they're going to come up against to take over is Jericho. And that's where we pick up. So if you're in Joshua chapter 6, got like 20 verses to read. So here we go. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, so that's Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do this for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. That's the ark of the covenant, that box where the presence of God's, or God's presence dwelt. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priest shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every one straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and he said to them, so we hear what the Lord says to Joshua. Now Joshua is relaying it on. He says, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city. Let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Verse eight, and just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. 
The armed men were walking before the priest who were blowing their trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord, to circle the city, going about at once. And they came into camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the Ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark of the Lord. And while the trumpets blew continually, the second day they marched around the city once, and they returned into their camp, and so they did for six days. On the seventh day, They rose early, and at the dawn of the day, they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest you have devoted them to take away of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. So here is Joshua, this leader of Israel now. And and even to think about that, he was a young man, and you read the early parts of Joshua, it says multiple times, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Why? I think I can resonate a little bit. You know, there, there for a while I was a young man until you do a 72-hour road trip, then you start feeling really old, right? Or even as a young man coming to Calvary and thinking, is this what God has for me? And we could doubt sometimes the calling that God has on our life. One of the first kind of men's events here that we were having, there was a, there was a few of us guys sitting around, and, and I'm just going to say I was the youngest by far. Right? And a few of them said, you know, I think this is the first church I've ever been a part of where the senior pastor is younger than me. I'm sorry? I don't, I don't want to say to that. Like, you are getting old. I, you know, and so for this young man, Joshua, to come in, like, I mean, you're in the shadow of Moses. Like, I'm in the shadow of Cliff. Short shadow, but a shadow, you know, <laughs> but a mighty shadow. You know, like I still call upon him and say, Cliff, I don't know what's going on. You need to fix this. What do I do? Help me. And, and I still do. I still call him every once in a while, because he's been in the role and he knows where I'm at. And there was times that you saw Joshua and Moses together like that. That You see Moses was absolutely, you know, raising up and training Joshua for this. But now Moses is dead and gone. Not Cliff, but Moses, right? And so Joshua has to lead. And where does he find that foundation? Who does he run to when he's struggling? He runs to the Lord, and he's dependent upon the Lord in this. And, and so imagine, you know, okay, here we are, Joshua. You're leading the people now. You're a mighty warrior, because this isn't the first battle that Joshua has been in. Jericho's not the first time he's, you know, going to throw, you know, hands at some people. He's done it before. Even when Moses was alive, there was one time that Joshua went into the valley with the young men, and they're fighting. But Moses, with a couple guys with him, Aaron and Hur, they're up on the mountain. If you remember, Moses had to lift his hands for battle. And any time his hands kind of got tired, started going down, the other army would start winning. And so Aaron and Hur, you know, there's armpit ministry, you know, (laughs) in a day that like Old Spice didn't exist. And so Moses probably, you know, pretty ripe, had to get in there and, and really hold up his arms, why? Because the battle was, was, was being swayed by that. And so every time Moses could keep his arms lifted up, Israel would win in that battle. And so this isn't the first time that he's fought. He was a great man of, of war, and he was trained in that. 
And so here we are walking into the promised land. And, he's, and he hears this like, all right, I'm going to give you Jericho into your hand. And it's like, perfect. All right, how are we going to do this? Because there were strategies for it as an, an army attacking another city state that in this culture was kind of normal to be a big fortified city. There were certain strategies that you would do to try to take over a city, right? And the wall was kind of the biggest thing. If you can get through the wall, that's one of the big keys. So some of the modern strategies of warfare in this day. So when you rolled up to a city like this, like one thing that Joshua could do was go over the wall. And they used to build real, real tall towers, put them on wheels, and they would just roll this thing up right next to the city wall. The, the uh, approaching army would just climb the tower and just hop the fence. And I was like, can you imagine that? Can you imagine like your leader saying, all right, this is what we're going to do. The whole army is going to be there and expecting us. We're going to roll up a tower, and I just want you to jump right into the enemy territory. Be like, let's go, but I'm going last. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, let everybody else go first. I don't know if I want to be the first guy over that fence. I think I want to be the last guy over that fence. So you can go over the wall. You can go under the wall. We could like mole it and dig. You know what I mean? Get a tunnel and dig under the wall. Or you could go through the wall. There's like some battering rams, especially at the city gates where it was the weakest. You know, they would, they would be taking something and bashing right up against that door to try to break through because they needed entrance in. Other ways that you could take over a city like this, you could reroute the water system that was coming into the city and just dehydrate them. You know, you only need to wait about three days because if they don't have fresh water, like it's not going to go well for them. Or you could just even cause a barricade and just say like, eventually you're going to run out of food. And there's even reports where like some of these city states would run into like cannibalism because they're trying to survive as much as they can without having to fight. So sometimes you just camp her out and uh, barricade it out and just let them die out. One of my favorites, I think it's the most gruesome, right? Because I'm, I'm sick and twisted like that. If you were an approaching army, you could take some uh, like dead corpses that died of some like nasty plague that was highly you know, contagious and you just chuck them up over the wall and let it land in there and let that disease spread and it just kill them out. Those, those are real modern warfare tactics. And so as, as the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, so this is pre-incarnate Christ, right at the end of chapter five, meets with Joshua. He sees him and Joshua's like, are you with us or are you against us? And he's like, stupid question. He goes, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And it's like, don't need to say anything else. We understand. And so he meets with them and the, and the Lord gives them the plan. He says, all right, I'm, I'm going to give Jericho into your hand. Joshua's perfect. And so he's probably expecting, like, all right, are we going over the wall this time? Are we building some towers? Are we digging? Are we going under the wall? Are we just going to blaze right through it like the Kansas City Chiefs defense? Are we going right through the wall? Like, what are we doing here? Are we rerouting water and, and cutting food supply? Are we taking some dead bodies up and over the, like, what's going on? And the Lord says, all right, here's the battle plan. I'm going to need the worship team. Now, I know our military has a band, and I don't know this, all right? So, like, help me, uh, some of you that are veterans or whatever. Like, I don't know if our, like, most hardened warriors are the ones that are in the band. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just saying that. Like, there's a small glimpse that it takes me back to, like, high school football. You know, like, if we were going to state, which never happened, Right. I don't think the football coach is like, all right, I need, to, I need to pull out all the stops. I need to put the best team together. I don't think he walked down to the band director's room and was like, hey, you got some trumpet players for me here? Like probably not what his thought was. And so could you imagine Joshua, like a man of war, knowing these strategies over, under, through, body, whatever. And he says, all right, we're going to need the band to get together. It's like, what? Like that doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? Like, this is, this is war that we're talking about. Like, we need to, you are saying we're going to overtake the city, and we're called to drive out these people in the promised land, you're going to give it to us, and you want us to play them a little ditty about Jack and Diane? Like, what? <laughs> like, could you imagine Joshua being this leader and then having to go to, like, your, your captains and your, 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 your kind of that, that core circle of leaders? And they're expecting you, the man of war, to bring, all right, what's the Lord have for us? How are we going to overtake Jericho? Are we going over the wall? Are we going under the wall? Are we through the wall? What are, we, what are we doing, Joshua? Key of C. <laughs> Key of C. 
key of C. We're going to get the band together. We're going to get, you know, Luke back up here on the guitar. We got John Mark on the keys, you know, and this little doo-doo-doo. And it, like, what? Joshua, this doesn't make sense. Like, they were almost probably, I, I, I could understand because, you know, the human heart and mind. Like, Joshua, you're, you're pulling our leg here. Like, seriously, seriously. How are we taking over Jericho? The Lord said that we're going to march around the city every day for a week. Every day? Yeah, we're going to go out there and one time around every day for six days in a row. Six days? Like, we don't even get a day off? Like, isn't the Sabbath something kind of big to you? Like, isn't that something the Lord really cares about? Like, we have to work on our day off, right? Like, we can't, we can't take a day off because the game's on. Like, do we really need to go six days in a row and one time around? Yeah, that's what the Lord said. How's that going to make the wall come down? I don't know. <laughs> wow, this is sounding real promising here, Joshua. And, but the seventh day is going to be different. Oh, perfect. That's when we're going under, over, through the wall, right? No, we're going to march seven times around. It's like, is this an exercise program? Are, like, you, like, are we just not in shape and this is like PT right now, physical training? Like, is this like we're trying to get our steps up on our little you know, phone and watch? Like, what is going on here, Joshua? Yeah, that last day, we're going to go seven times around. And here's the thing. Through all of it, you can't say a word. Now, in, in this era, there was definitely like ancient Near Eastern war rhetoric just like there is today. Like today, the Chiefs are going to play at 3.30, and we're going to utterly destroy the Chargers. Okay, what does that mean? We're going to take a pigskin full of air, cross an imaginary line for fake points that mean nothing. Right? Are we going to utterly destroy them? Like, are we going to kill them all? No, we're going to score more fake points, and the other team's going to score more fake points. Yippee. And we pay hundreds of dollars to watch this. Amen. Right? But there's war rhetoric. And so you would be, you know, jarring at each other. And he's like, yeah, we're going to go out there and you're not going to say a word. And it's vital. So for six days, we're going to go one time around. They're going to blow the horn, but nobody's going to say nothing. And so think about that. Like the first day you walk out there and everybody would be on the walls of Jericho ready for battle. They probably have archers or, you know, sword. They have counter defense measures. And we'll talk about those. And so they see this formation. And here's the crazy part. So we got some of the army in the front. And then we got this weird box and these people. They're dressed up for battle, but it doesn't look like armor. You know, it's like, could you imagine? Like, look at their weapons. What is it? Sword? What is it? You know, slingshot, uh, ram's horn. Like, I would feel really good about myself if I was going to battle and I had like a, a nice sword and he rolls up with a trumpet. Like, I feel like I'd probably take this guy. I think this is gonna, my odds are in my favor right now. It's like you never bring an instrument to a sword fight. You never bring a sword to a gunfight. Like you always want to have the better weapon here. So they're rolling in. You got these like dressed up priests with a ram's horn and they're carrying a box. What's in the box? What's in the box? Is that a peace offering? Is that like, what, what's this thing about? And then you have the army behind it and they come up. So they're approaching. It's like, all right, it's about to go down. Here we go. But for that first day, they just do one lap around. They never approached. What's, and then they just go back to their camp. Well, that was kind of weird. And then they do it a second day. They're doing the same thing they did yesterday. And like even kind of, I think it would be slightly starting to become a little bit eerie because they're not saying a thing. You just hear them marching. But they're never, by, by day three or four, just knowing me, like I would have started mouthing them a little bit. <laughs> like, let's just be honest. Like if I was standing on the wall in that tower, I'd be like, you guys are stupid. You guys look like morons. Like, do you see how ridiculously you look? Like, hey, do, are you taking requests with the worship band there? Like I, I, I have a couple songs that I'd like to hear. Could you play one of those? We just dance up on the wall as they're playing us some music. And then day seven, we line up again. Here it is. Let's see if they're gonna walk around the city one more time. And they do. But here's the difference. And then they keep walking. We don't exactly know a, how long that would take, but they keep walking around the city. And then on the seventh, when they blast the horn, then they all shout. And what happens? We know the story. The wall comes down. It's actually an archaeological thing that you can go and see Jericho and these, the ancient city walls. And even archaeologists are studying because when you look at any other city wall that falls because of a war or other natural things, like there's, there's a certain pattern about that. But when you get to the walls of Jericho, it's completely different. They don't understand. It doesn't make sense to them what they see in these walls of Jericho. 
I think that's kind of fun when archaeology always wants to defend that a little bit. And so here is Joshua looking at his captains, looking at his army, laying out the plan of warfare. And so there, it had to require some great faith. One from Joshua because he had to explain and lead the nation in this plan. It's almost a, it's a little uh, uh, kind of a crazy burden, pressure that I hear even when Sean was doing announcements. Hey, come back at four to hear the vision Sunday, the big vision that God has for us through Pastor Jerron. That's the joke because it's supposed to be me. Yeah. So it's like, that's like, I would love to, to, you know what, Jerron, how about you take the lead on this one? London, how, you know, they want to hear about kids. They don't want to hear about me. You know, how about you share what God has? No, it took great faith of Joshua to be that leader, to step into it, to hear and know and understand what the Lord has for them. And regardless of how crazy the idea was to pass that along to his leaders. And then it took great faith from the elders and from that nation because they had to follow Joshua in this plan. That if, okay, if Joshua's saying, if that's what the Lord said, that's what we're going to do. And so he passes that along to his elders in the army and that nation. And they got to say, if that's what the Lord told Joshua, that's what we have to do. Because Joshua's great, because the nation's great, the army's great. No, because the Lord is great. And this is what the Lord has said for us. And so there was clarity for Joshua and then through Joshua to the people. Yes, it absolutely required great faith because they knew walking out there, it's going to look silly. Like they're probably even walking thinking, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. Even those in Jericho were watching and saying, this doesn't make sense. We've never had an army try to attack us this way. Like they're just going to, are they going to lull us to sleep with a little bedtime music? Like what is going on? So it absolutely took great faith, but what else? It took great obedience and total dependency on God because this plan was from God. That if Joshua would have heard that and passed on to his, his army, if one of the guys was like, really, I can't say anything? Like, that's really hard. When a teacher would come in there and sit down in class and be like, all right, I want to hear another peep out of you. I would always want to challenge her definition of the word peep and see how much I could get away with before I crossed that imaginary line of, that's a peep, go to the principal's office, right? Like, very subjective in that. So imagine, you know, there's that army, day three, tired, worn out. It's got blisters. Like, really? Like, what if he would have hollered out, seen some guys on the wall, like, hey, you got a Chick-fil-A in there? <laughs> I hear we're coming in soon. Just want to make sure I can get some lunch. What would have happened? We don't know. Because it took complete faith and obedience from everyone for this to happen. And, because, and we see them walking in this obedience because they did exactly as the Lord commanded Joshua. And then Joshua passed it along to the army. And so it absolutely took great faith, but also great obedience and total dependency on God. But that's the problem with half obedience. You know the other word for half obedience? Disobedience. That's what half obedience really is. See, half obedience, the problem is it's a plain confession that we know the will of God, though we did not do it. And so many times we don't do it. Why? Because it doesn't make sense to us. And then we see these, that our faith in Jesus, I don't want to look crazy to the world around me. Like, I remember that. That's like a core memory as a kid. Something happened when I was young, and I hated looking stupid in front of people. And ever since then, that's still something I struggle with, right? I tell my wife all the time, like, I don't want to look stupid in front of people. So, like, I've told her, like, if I'm going to do something, like, you have to tell me if this is possible. There's a reason I don't sing. You know, like, Pastor, why don't you just end service with a song a cappella that you could lead us in? Because I don't want to look stupid in front of people. And if I sing, <laughs> no one's going to be blessed by that. And so I've even told her, like, hey, if I ever get a, like, a crazy idea, like, you have to ground me and be like, Nick, you're going to look stupid in front of people. Don't do that. And you might be thinking that, like, wow, like, you struggle looking stupid. Like, you do it great every Sunday. Like, you are, <laughs> you've mastered that pretty well. It seems like you're really processing it. 
But that's one of the things, like, but the dangerous part is when the church wants to play with partial obedience and half-truths. When we know this is what the Lord calls from us, but we respond in a different way. I mean, even there at Passion, you had 55,000 young people, 18 to 25, in that college. And think of what the basic, broad-brush understanding of college life is right now. It doesn't sound a whole lot of being Christ-centered, right? And you hear the crazy and the debauchery and the parties and all of that. And, and the whole conference, the two things that we focused on God's character was his holiness and his faithfulness. And guess what they challenged 55,000 college students to live in? Holiness and righteousness. Because the, the word of God tells me that I should walk in purity, you want me to go back to my college campus and live in purity? Yes. Because the Bible calls me to be sober-minded, you want me to go back to my college campus and live sober-minded? Yes. Because the Bible calls me to live in faith and obedience in Jesus, you want me to go back to my campus and look like a fool in front of them? Yes. That we can't live in half-truths and partial obedience anymore. That the Bible, it has never relinquished its call for us as followers of Jesus to be fully devoted to him. And so it's a dangerous game when the church wants to play with that. Partial credit never brings about a full reward. And we studied Revelation. We know Jesus is coming back. The last words that are given in the book of Revelation, written in red, he says, I am coming soon, and I am bringing with me my recompense, my reward. And there's one thing that we should not try the Lord in. Because so many times I think there's a false understanding of what the grace of God is. We are saved by grace. Praise the Lord. But to try to use the grace as a license to sin. Oh, God, forgive me. It's not a big deal. And you don't understand the Lord. That he didn't go to a cross and die for our sins just for us to run back to the same ones and swipe our little license to sin card, Paul would absolutely just vomit in his mouth if he heard that. And he addresses it in Romans 6, the idea of antinomianism, just to continue on and, oh yeah, God will forgive us. Shouldn't we just keep sinning so that God's grace would increase? He says, may it never, may that never be. That yes, we are saved by grace, but we are called to live in obedience to Jesus period. Well, we can never reach full, full obedience to the Lord. Yep. And his grace is sufficient in our weaknesses. But he never relinquishes the call for us to live in obedience to him. And, and when our faith in Jesus causes us to do some crazy things and we sit in the tension that this doesn't make sense, good. That is a good thing I believe, to sit in that tension because I believe that's where God is really shaping and moving and working in and through us. That if, if everything made sense to me, if faith never called me to do something that was just crazy, do I really have faith? So the question, how stupid, in quotes, are we willing to look for following Jesus? So many times we'll put a line in the sand and say, I'm not going past that, God. I'll do anything that else you want me to do on this side of the line, but I'm not going to do that. You know the one thing that the Lord is going to call you to do? Step right over that. But how many times do we put a line in the sand and say, I'll, I'll, I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll join a life group. I'll serve a little bit, but I won't do that. And we try to barter and bargain with the Lord, saying, Lord, I, I see this is what you're asking for, and we, and we try to respond back and say, but this, is what I'm, but this is what I'm willing to pay. This is what you're asking, but this is what I'm offering to you. Can we, can we find a deal? Which one of the passion speakers talked about, that there's nothing more that the enemy would love to do is to make us make a deal, to compromise our faith. And he kept repeating over and over again, no deal. Why? Because we've already made a deal. 
My life is not my own. I've been bought. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price, and that price is the blood of Jesus. I've made a deal with Jesus. It's not about me anymore. It's about him. And so I can't put lines in the sand. I just have to faithfully respond to what the Lord is calling, no matter how crazy the idea is, no matter how much I do or don't make sense of the situation. Because when we draw that line, and I just don't want to look stupid in front of people, and I, I get, that's a struggle for me. You know what that issue is? It's not an external issue. It's an internal issue of pride. That I'm more worried about the reputation in front of men who can't save than I am about my faith in Jesus who can save. It's a pride issue. And so when we respond in faith and obedience, it is always going to be a call of humility as well. And isn't that the hardest thing? We don't like humility. Our country, our culture doesn't like humility. But this is the very thing that he's calling. So just as, <clears throat> just as we walked about or talked about those uh, standard strategies of overtaking a city, uh, cities, they had defenses against these known strategies, right? So, and some of you've seen, you know, if you've watched Lord of the Rings, they give you a basic idea of what it would be like to try to attack a city with a wall, which are the greatest movies <clears throat> even over Star Wars. And so, <laughs> thank you. There's preacher of righteousness. And so if you remember, like they would lean ladders up against there, or if they're trying to batter through the, the gate, you know, they'd pour hot oil onto them. There's, there's all kinds of strategies to defend that, right? Because those were standard things. So if, if God had told Joshua, we're going over the wall, Jericho would have had a defense for that. And Joshua would have lost people. If they were going to go under the wall, Jericho knows that. And they would have had a defense for it. If they were going to go through the wall, there would have been a defense for that. You know, well, what about if they would have rerouted water and food? There's, there's defenses against those things to try to preserve that city, state, nation. But what did Jericho have against a marching priests and shouting armies? Think about it. If Joshua and the army would have not walked in complete obedience and faith, trusting God, it would have cost people their lives. But that crazy thing that God called them to do was to ensure victory for them. Why? Because they have no defense against me and what I can do. And so the same thing for our lives. So many of us struggle, let it be sin or other brokenness, and all we want is victory, but we don't want to do it God's way. And we wonder and we struggle even on God's goodness of why am I still struggling with this? Because you're doing it in your own efforts and resources and ability, but you're not walking in faith and trust. And then sometimes we then start to bargain with the Lord. Lord, this is just me. This is the sin issue that I have. It's never going to go away. It's just who I am. You need to accept it. That's not a bargaining chip that you want to have with the Lord. Because what you just said is you have limited his ability to change and to transform your life. That you've just limited and, and, and think that God is limited in his power to move and work. Or there might be strained relationships. Lord, I don't know if I could ever talk to my parents again. I don't know if my adult kids will ever have anything to do with me. Me and my spouse, it's just, it's just broken. It just is what it is. I don't know what to do anymore. Like, I wish you would change their heart when sometimes the heart that God wants to change is ours. Like, is God not a God of reconciliation? I've tried to do everything to, to, to show my spouse that I love her or him, and I'm trying to do all these things, but they're just still walking. Yeah, because you're not walking in faith. You're not walking in trust in God. You're walking in your own abilities. You're like Joshua thinking, how do I get over the wall, under the wall, through the wall? You're not looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you want to do in my life and in this situation? What's your plan for this? And there's a lot of times it's not going to make sense. Why? Because God wants to ensure victory in us. If it would have been any earthly, known, man-made tactic to defend or to attack, there would have been a real battle. But when it came from the Lord and the Lord of alone, how could Jericho ever defend against that? Do we really believe that we have an enemy that can defend himself against God Almighty? 
I mean, hence the term almighty. But I don't want to do it God's way. Why? Because I don't want to look stupid in front of people. Because my life is comfortable. That comfort could be the very thing that's killing your life. I don't want to change. I don't want to be, all right. What, you, what you've just said is, Lord, there's my line. And I'm not crossing it for you. See, faith is going to make us do some crazy things. We're going to look real stupid to the world. But we don't, I think it's 1 Corinthians. God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. So if the world looks at us and says, man, those Calvary people, man, they're crazy. That's stupid that they think that they could really reach the lake for Jesus. I love that. Because what they said is we don't understand the power of God and we have an opportunity to share the transforming power of God. So why did Joshua and Israel need to be obedient to the Lord's leading? Because there was no defense for what God wants to do. And if you want victory in your life, I would challenge you. Let it be a sin issue, a struggle. Let it be broken relationships, whatever it would be. Seek the Lord first in that. Keep seeking the Lord for what that battle plan is. If you feel exhausted because you feel like you've done everything and there's nothing else that you can do, it's usually at that moment when the Lord says, now I can finally work. You're finally getting out of the way so that I can do what I do. But every time, if we want to run to the Lord and say, look, I've, I've done this, I've done this, come on, why can't you? Because that's by your own efforts. That when the walls came down and the army rushed in, who got all glory? Joshua, because he had a great plan to go over, under, through, bodies, what? No. Could you imagine that shout and then watching that wall fall? But the whole army had to shout. It was complete participation in what God was doing. And so how many times can we defeat ourselves because God and his will doesn't make sense to us? And if we're waiting for our own human reason and logic to respond in faith, we never had faith from the start. And that's what's really hard because theologically we'll say that. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. It's a nice warm ooey-gooey thing that you can post on Facebook and we all like it. Look good to everybody in the social community until God calls us to walk in one of the ways that are not our ways until he asks us to trust one of the thoughts that are not our thoughts. Because our faith isn't an intellectual thing. Our faith is active and alive in our everyday normal life. And so if you have to have full understanding of what the Lord is doing to obey him, then he's really not your Lord. And could it be crazy? Could it be the crazy thing that Jesus is asking of us is so crazy that it would ensure victory because the enemy has no way to counter against it. So what's the crazy thing that Jesus is asking of you? We all have a Jericho. We all have that thing that God is asking us to take, but he wants to do it his way, not your way. Now, it's probably not a real city, which sounds cool, right? But we have a Jericho, something where God has already given us victory, that there, Romans tells us there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is victory in Jesus. We have a Jericho, and we already know from the start, just like Joshua, victory is ours, but will we walk in it? We all have that Jericho. We all have that crazy thing that Jesus is asking us to do. Could be to serve. That we have to humble ourselves, that it's not about us, and we're going to serve others. We're going to put others' needs before our own. We're actually going to show up early on a Sunday. We're going to have to stay late. I'm going to have to serve with cow kids and be around kids. Absolutely. Why? Because that's the thing that God wants to use to bring victory into your life. And it might be an engaging into your faith. How's the Sunday to Sunday going? It's rough. A lot of us walk in here malnourished. Why? Because it's supposed to be a daily bread. Not a celebration cake that we get every once in a while. And so that next thing, that crazy thing, is that we engage in our faith. I mean, we're a week into our Bible reading plan. How you going? It's rough. It's hard. 
We had to listen to it on the road. 10 hours in, listening to somebody read the Bible. I was, I was fighting. I was at war to stay awake. <laughs> it's like, I get it. Job has got a rough thing going on right now, but Job has never drove 10 hours from Atlanta with 17 college students. Like, give me boils and sores and a pot to scratch myself. I'll take that any day over this. But is that crazy thing? Start engaging your faith? That you'd be that use your sphere of influence and you'd be a light into your school, you'd be a light into your workplace, your community, you might even just be a light into your own homes. It could be he wants you to give up something. That's the crazy thing. He wants you to give up something. And, it, and yes, he wants you to give up any kind of sin issue. But some things are not even sinful. They're just distractions. Most of you don't know this. But there was a season of my life that I would always carry a deck of playing cards with me. And I performed for many years as a prestidigitationer, a magician. But churches don't like that word. So with a deck of cards, oh yeah, I can steal your wallet. I can stack them, I can deal them, like, I'm dangerous. I don't play cards anymore. But there was a season in my life, you can ask my family, that I always had a deck of cards with me, ready to show a trick. And we're talking like crazy, like David Blaine kind of stuff. That was a part of my life. And what's crazy is God used it because I had a crazy fear to talk in front of people. But I love performing. The first few times I ever performed were just like walking up to people. So not even in a big crowd like this. And I had a deck of, here, pick a card. Like, that was horrible. Like, we're paying this guy? <laughs> but God used that, and he refined that. And I got comfortable talking in front of crowds. And then the Lord says, all right, now put the cards down. Give that up, because I have something greater for you to use that talent for. And there was one day I put the cards down and I never picked them back up. Never learned a new trick, nothing. My kids always want me to do a trick. Can you show me a card trick? It's the same ones. Why? Because I don't learn anymore. I gave that up. Why? Because God gave me something better. So that crazy thing might be something you need to give up. Or that crazy thing might be that person you need to forgive or you need to seek forgiveness from. But that doesn't make sense. I don't want to look stupid. That's crazy. I could never ask them for forgiveness. Like, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. Then you don't understand the reconciliation power of God to reconcile you to somebody, to transform, change your heart. That so many of us are carrying a weight, a burden of unforgiveness because we know what that person did to us and we can't let it go. I love the line that talks about unforgiveness. It's like eating rat poison, trying to kill the rats. That burden is killing you. Let it go. Have victory in it. And so when our mind says to Jesus, that doesn't make sense, make sure that your heart says, but I trust you. And walk and respond in obedience. We all have that personally in our lives, no matter where we're at. Missionaries from Mexico, teachers, pastor, postmen. God is calling each and every one of us to respond to him. That there's an area in our life that he wants to bring victory. But don't wait for it all to make sense because if you wait for that, you'll always be waiting. Respond in faith. And so even today at four o'clock, Vision Sunday, yes, I know the game is at 3.30. One, Mahomes isn't even playing, right? And the only thing our backup's going to do is make sure Kelsey gets to a thousand yards this season. And let's be honest, they don't even start playing until the fourth quarter. <laughs> like, come on, like just call it out what it is. So we were intentional for a few reasons to have Vision Sunday at four. And there's a dinner to follow, and we'll turn the game on, and we can all, like the old Baptists, get together, eat, we can watch the game, and then we can see each other's true colors, be like, wow, they're really passionate about football. There we go. <laughs> or they have no patience. We don't know which one it is. But I encourage you to come out and hear the vision that God has for us, because you'll forget about the game. I promise. But I fully believe what God has for us as Calvary in 24 will be a thing that changes the trajectory of us as a church forever. That it'd be something that we would look back on in 10, 20 years and say, do you remember that? January 24, 
who was that bald pastor? I don't even know who it was, but he had a crazy idea that we would be setting up and building a legacy that it's not just for us who call Calvary home now, but those that God is stirring and working in their hearts that'll call Calvary home in six months, a year, five years, 10 years, that we really wanna take the idea of reaching the lake for Jesus serious. Like, you really think you could reach everybody in the lake? Yeah. That doesn't make sense. I know. But the gospel has never relinquished the call for obedience from us to go and to make disciples. And so we need to be completely dependent upon God responding and letting our faith in him change how we live, what we do, what matters to us, what doesn't matter to us anymore. And it's gonna take all of Calvary. And think about the thought of it. Like we, we call it our Calvary community, not just those in person between the three services or upstairs in the loft, online, but even those that God will bring into Calvary and how he's gonna stir and move in their hearts that they would find a church home. It's gonna take all of Calvary. And so I encourage you, but if we can't walk in the small things in our own personal life, if we can't be faithful in that, why would God give us more to be faithful in greater things? Where if we as the body of Christ, even when it doesn't make sense, Lord, we believe, love the prayer in the Bible, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Are we gonna have doubts? Absolutely. We should. It's normal. Why? Because his ways aren't our ways, his thoughts aren't our thoughts. We're gonna have doubts about that. But we're gonna trust Jesus anyway. I pray that for you, that God would move in a mighty way in your personal life. And honestly, the vision and the prayer for us as Calvary is that. What's the details? I'll see you at four. Let me pray. Father, we love you, we trust you, and we thank you, Lord. Those are some strong words that we say to you, Lord. We do love you. And we're merely responding to your agape love for us, knowing that we did not earn it, deserve it, did nothing for it, but you unconditionally love us and gave us your son. And we trust you. With our everyday normal lives, and I pray that we at Calvary would be a church that responds to you in faith and in love. That no matter what you ask of us, we would walk in obedience to you, knowing that there is victory in you, Jesus. Give us that kind of faith, that kind of boldness, that kind of courage to simply respond to you. So pour out your spirit. We cannot do this without you. Kindle afresh in us that gift that we have Lead and guide us in your ways. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said...